All right, well, they're closing the doors, so let's pray. Father God, we give you all the praise, all the glory. You are the good, holy, and loving God. Help help open our minds, open our hearts to learn your word. What you've put before us in this text, this morning in this book of Philippians, we thank you for it. Give us humble hearts as you transform us more and more into the image of Christ. We thank you for that. We give you all the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm thankful, I'm thankful for the opportunity to dig into Philippians with you this morning. As this is probably, in my Christian life, probably the most neglected book, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I've spent the majority of my time dealing with conflict, studying apologetics, defending the gospel, as none of you could probably have guessed from my personality. But I'm so grateful and for God's sovereignty, ordaining this, and, and the wisdom of the elders as well to put me into a place to be able to dig into the joy that Philippians has to offer and to come alongside of someone like Marshall to uh, teach and, and study and, and have a transformed life of my own, and it's truly a, a blessing. So, And it's uh, good to be here with you this morning. Like I said, I'm excited. I'm, I'm thankful uh, for the opportunity. Uh, there is much here. Again, we're going to merely just scratch the surface. However, I pray and I'm confident that uh, it will edify and encourage you as it has uh, for me this week for sure. So let us be diligent with our time as Marshall only got through two verses. Or Did you get through all of them last week? Uh, well, we've got nine this week, so uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, as you turn in the book of Philippians, go ahead and turn there. We'll be in chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. This text was screaming a main question at me. I was playing hide-and-go-seek, so as with the kids, and as I was uh, hiding, I got to contemplate uh, quite a bit on it. And so, if I could share uh, those questions with you. The main question, and it leads to more, is what are you doing with your life? What defines your life? What legacy are you cultivating? What type of a legacy are you actively developing? Well, as you sit there and contemplate on it, as you sit there and think through, you, let me help you with it. You really only have two options. Option one, you're wasting it. You're wasting your life. Or option two, you're building a life, a testimony, a legacy that the Philippians have been building here. Those are your only two. Uh, those are your two options. Either you are sold out to Christ, you're building up a testimony, you're building up and edifying the saints, or you're wasting your time, this precious life that you have been given. As Christ tells us, I'd rather you be hot or cold. 
For the lukewarm, I will spew you out. I will violently spew you out. There's no middle ground. There's no room for mediocrity. You're either hot or you're cold. So again, I ask you, what are you doing with your life? Do you want to be remembered or simply will you be remembered as the man who has all the sports statistics? As the man who can fix it all, everything, anything? Or how about the woman who had a verse for all the others' corrections without personal application? Please don't throw anything at me because here comes the good part. Or will it be said of you, as Paul is addressing the Philippians here, I thank God in all my remembrance of you because of your fellowship in the gospel. Well, I hope you, and in a larger sense, PBC as a whole, is actively working toward the latter, building that fellowship in the gospel, being thankful in all the remembrance of you. But those questions, we must always be asking, always assessing and evaluating ourselves. As a wise man once said, I think it was last week from the pulpit, you, get to, you have the right to feel like a believer when you're acting like one. So with that being said, let's read the text. Philippians 1, 3 through 11. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in every prayer for you all, because of your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to think this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are fellow partakers with me in this grace. For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affections of Christ Jesus. In this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in full knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and without fault until the day of Christ. Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Now, in verse 5, we see this phrase, fellowship in the gospel. So first, in order to get this text, in order to really get the scriptures in general, but specifically this text for today, in order to know it and to understand it, we must first know the gospel. And also, we must first be reminded of the gospel as well. So our first point, if you're taking notes, our first point is, what is the gospel? Well, in short, the gospel is the person and work of Christ, the person and work of Jesus Christ. I don't want to be like God. I want to be God. I don't want to be submissive. I don't want to learn from anyone. I want to be God. And for that, he hates me with righteous and just hatred. If you are prone, like me, to view your sin as a minor infraction or a simple misdemeanor of the sort, 
as opposed to a cosmic treason that it truly is, I promise you, you're only deceiving yourself. Now we can turn to the true God-man. Truly God, truly man, true divinity, true flesh, both natures in one person, as we will dig into, as Philippians teaches us very well, as we'll learn in the coming weeks. Christ was born of a virgin. It had to be this way as to not inherit the sin nature that you and I share. Throughout his whole life, his every breath perfection, fulfilling the law of God, complete righteousness. What Adam could not do, what Israel could never do, what you and I fail at constantly, the problem with constantly is that it doesn't matter. Once the law is broken, it's broke. You can't fix it. So we just did it consistently and constantly. How about that? But Christ's active obedience all the way to the cross, it had to be the cross as well because it's the only certifiable death. I assure you, no one came off the cross alive. And as he was on the cross, as he was draining, as he was drinking the cup of God's wrath, satisfying the wrath of God, my full punishment, yours, if you truly repent and believe. The idea here is substitutionary atonement and double imputation or the taking our punishment as every believer has truly earned as a perfect substitute and giving us his righteousness so we will absolutely, without a doubt, stand justified in the sight of a holy and righteous judge, Yahweh. And then we can smile as he rose three days later from the grave. The father can now look on the, on the, upon crushing his son as a good thing because he rose. So I must ask, in light of this reality of the gospel, have you believed? In light of the person and work of Christ, have you obeyed the command to repent and believe, to turn from your sin and trusting, placing your faith only in Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, as there is no other way to the Father. Have you done that? If you do not know Him, if you do not know Christ and His work, you cannot know the Father, you cannot know of saving faith, nor can you know of heavenly things. If not, you have death and destruction for all of eternity, weeping and gnashing of teeth, the doctrine of hell, to look, to look for after your final breath. You must repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It is here, guys. If, however, on the flip side, if, however, you do rest in the gospel, the work of Christ, then you have this fellowship of the gospel that, Christ, that, that Paul is talking about. Well, Christ is also talking about it. As, uh, as Paul and the Philippians also do. And therefore, brings us to our next point. So the first point was, what is the gospel? The next point is, it seems that Paul cannot think otherwise. He is confident. He is convinced he is persuaded absolutely of this thing. The second point is confident assurance. 
we see in verse 6, For I am confident in this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. There, <laughs> there is a whole lot going on just in these few short words in verse 6. Paul is convinced of the Philippians' salvation. He is convinced of their sanctification. He's convinced of their glorification of Christ coming again and several, several other things implied in this verse. But I believe Paul's confidence, and I, I think that you would uh, agree with me here, Paul's confidence has nothing to do with them and everything to do with God here in the, uh, the Philippians, just as every other believer that's ever lived, to include you and I. We are uh, merely just placeholders in this text and in other truths as well. So what helps clarify the depths of this verse and Paul's confidence is a doctrine called Ordo Salutis, or the order of salvation. It is critical for your growth. It is critical in your study. It is critical to understand the character and the nature of God and ultimately who he is. A text uh, that expands on verse 6 and expands on the Ordo Salutis is Romans. I'm sure you all are familiar with Romans chapter 8, 29 through 30. It says because it's also known as the golden chain as well. It says because those whom he foreknew he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, you all can probably quote it with me. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Once God starts this work, once God starts anything, he finishes it. Just as verse 6 points out. He, he's not like you and I where we start a project and we don't count the cost and we you know, finish short or we don't have enough material or, or whatever it may be. God starts it and he finishes it. Many people have that backwards. And therefore, if you have that backwards, the order of your salvation, if you have it wrong, then you have the whole character of God wrong. I'm not saying that they are not believers. I'm not saying that they... Uh, that they don't know God. I'm saying that they can't know God as well as what the scriptures define him as, as what he has told us, who he is. So the order of salvation is this. If you're taking notes, you have uh, first, you have the foreknowledge, predestination, or the election, which is God's choice. You have, after election, you have foreknowledge. Or sorry, <laughs> you have the effectual call. Or regeneration, the new birth is what it's known as. After the effectual call, you have conversion, which is repentance and faith. What you and I think that we do, which we do, it is a choice. But God gives us, he grants us that choice. We then have justification, declared of right legal standing. After justification, we have adoption, placed into the family of God. 
After adoption, there is sanctification or the progressive growth in holiness. Also with that, you, you have next on the list, you have perseverance or remaining in Christ. Then there is what we are all looking forward to, I hope, is glorification, receiving that resurrected body. I didn't hear any amens. You all are quiet this morning. So all of these things, uh, they uh, are either a quick, there are separate things there, but they are either all quick together in in one sense, but there are also some that are a lifetime, whether your life is rather short or rather long, such as sanctification and perseverance. And what is magnified here in this order is God's sovereignty. He remains in control through the whole process. As you will see if you study each of these, it takes each one of these, you could really realistically take a whole lifetime to dig into or shorter, but I at least hope that you all are at at a minimum familiar with this, with these doctrines. A few verses that would help you and I build confidence, such as the Paul, such, yeah, the Paul has demonstrated. How about John 19.30? We have the God-man hanging on the cross. He says, it is finished. He doesn't say, here, I started it. I'm giving it to you. There you go. No. In terms of salvation, it is bought and paid for. It is finished. Turn with me to, cha- uh, to John chapter 6. Again, I don't think any of these are unfamiliar verses for you guys. John chapter 6. We'll read 37 through 40. Thirty-seven through forty says, "All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Now this is the will of Him who sent me, that all that He has given me I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him." will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. How about a couple pages over, chapter 10, John chapter 10. We'll read 27 through 30. It says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, ever And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. I and the Father are one. You placing your faith in something is not an accomplishment, but it is merely an application of the person and work of Jesus. Exactly how God had it all mapped out from beginning all the way to the end. He is the creator. He is the implementer. He is the perfecter. He is the one who brings it to a close. 
not you or I. Does that give you confidence, believer? He holds us fast. Amen. So verses 3 through 8, they carry the main idea of Paul's joy and thankfulness in Philippians chapter 1, 3 through 8. They carry the main idea of Paul's joy and thankfulness. Keep your hand in John. We'll, we'll be turning back there in just a minute. So I'll read 3 through 8. Let me get there. Sorry. Philippians 1, 3 through 8 says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in every prayer for you all, because of your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For this is only right for me to think this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you, are, you all are fellow partakers with me in this grace. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affections of Christ Jesus. Verse 9, however, is a shift in Paul's layout here, which brings us to point number three. How not to waste your life. Point one is what is the gospel. Point number two is confident assurance. And point three is how not to waste your life. Verse nine and following give us sort of a layout on how not to waste your life. Because listen, Christ is on his way back. He's on his way back and we must be prepared for him. So verse nine is how that's accomplished. That your love, and it says, that your love may abound still more and more. So what is this love? What's this love that Paul's talking about? Well, first and foremost, it's an attribute of God. And it can be defined in short by agape means that God gives eternally of himself to others. But it's also a communicable attribute which means that you and I as believers, we get to mimic or obtain this. We get to uh, have this virtue of, uh, from, to ourselves. And to love biblically, we must roll up our sleeves to give and to do. A few verses that break that down a little bit. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. John 3.35, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. We're all familiar with that. John 14.31 says, I do as the Father has commanded me, so that, so why does, why does Christ do this? This is Jesus talking. I do as the Father has commanded me, so that, why does he do it? So that the world may know that I love the Father. So Christ is doing these commandments so that the world may know that Christ loves him. Romans 5, 8, But God demonstrates his own love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how he demonstrates his love for us as believers. Galatians two twenty, The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God 
who loved me and gave himself up for me. Go back to John. We'll be a couple pages over. John 15. John chapter 15. Eight through 14. Verses 8 through 14 say, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. He breaks it down real simplified for us right there. You will uh, abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. The church will always look like the church when it possesses and implements a Biblical definition of love. And we find out back in Philippians. Turn to Philippians. We're going to be flipping a little bit there. Verse 9 tells us how we implement that love. Verse 9 says, And this I pray, that your love may still abound, may abound still more and more, in full knowledge and all discernment. So love, it starts in the mind as it tells us, in full knowledge and all discernment. Full knowledge or real knowledge, epigenosis, is the Greek there. Fifteen times it's used in Paul's letters, and each time it's referring to the knowledge of God or the knowledge of Christ, the full counsel of God. We cannot love what we do not know. To love as God loves, we must have a knowledge of the object of what we claim to love, namely Christ. The more we know of God, the more we can truly love Him. One of the most helpful premarital counselings that uh, PK gave myself, the wisdom there, was to never stop learning her, never stop studying Brittany. Why? Why would I never stop? She's the same person, right? So that I can love her more, better, and better, more. So that I can serve her better, more, and more, better. There you go, English people. To love God is to strengthen your faith. How do you strengthen your faith? You increase the object of your faith. How do you increase the object of your faith? By learning what the scriptures say about Jesus Christ. As a Christian, Christ is the object of your faith. So full knowledge in verse 9 is what Paul is going to teach us through the rest of Philippians. It is the whole counsel of God found from Genesis 1 through Revelation 22. But that knowledge must be equally yoked, 
equally applied with all discernment. Knowledge asks the question, what is right? Discernment asks the question, what is best? Discernment is practical insight that informs our choices. Discernment informs our conduct. It implies the right application of that knowledge that's gained. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 21 through 22, it says, But examine all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Proverbs 2, chapter 2, verses 3 through 6 says, For if you call out for understanding, give your voice for discernment. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of Yahweh and find the knowledge of God. For Yahweh gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and discernment. Wisdom and discernment, think of Knowledge being practiced with and for experience. Hebrews chapter 5, 14, it says, But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses, tra- senses trained to discern both good and evil. Here are a few ways that you can cultivate discernment, cultivate Uh, or develop discernment. There are six of them. Number one, you you have to desire wisdom. You must desire wisdom. As we saw in Proverbs 2, 3 through 6, it says, cry for discernment, cry for wisdom. Number two, you must pray for it. We know that God is going to give and willing to give things in his name and things that are in his will. So we must ask for those. Number three, we must obey the truth. Again, in Hebrews 5.14, it says, Because of practice, obeying the truth is what they are practicing. Very simple. Simple in speaking. It's a little harder in application. Number four would be follow discerning leaders. Later in Philippians chapter 317, we'll learn about it in, what, probably uh, about uh, next year maybe. But it says, brothers, join in following my example and looking for those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. So we must follow discerning leaders. We must have discerning leaders to follow. Number five, depend on the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.11 says, Even the depths of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. So we must depend on the Holy Spirit. Number six is study the Scriptures. Study the Scriptures. Turn to Psalm, Psalm 19. Psalm 19 will be, seven, will be in verses 7 through 14. It says, the, 
The law of Yahweh is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of Yahweh is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of Yahweh are right, rejoicing, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of Yahweh is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of Yahweh is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of Yahweh are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, even more than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your slave is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his error? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also, keep back your slave from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, O Yahweh, be acceptable in your sight, O Yahweh, my rock and my redeemer. This is how discernment is made. So Paul's prayer here for the Philippians is to continue in what they are already doing. Back in Philippians, we read in verse 9, In this I pray that your love may still may abound still more and more in the full knowledge and all discernment. So they are still doing this, but Paul wants them to grow in this. He wants them to love more. He wants them to roll up their sleeves more, get their hands dirty, give of themselves their time, their money, and their resources. You want to know what someone loves? Check their bank account. Check their schedule. It'll give you a pretty good, pretty decent picture. So rolling up sleeves, guided by the knowledge of God, the full counsel of his word, put in practice by uh, using what you've learned from godly people and what God has led you through all through a biblical lens. That is how we must love. Then we go to chapter, sorry, we go to verse 10. Verse 10 says, So that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and without fault until the day of Christ. We get a so that, or in the Greek it's ice. This word is usually setting up or it leads to a reason, a purpose, or a pinnacle, a, a certain type of motivation. Actually, we have several in the following two verses. Uh, Paul does a great job building on top of these motivations or purposes, in a sense, one-upping the last one. First, he starts out with, so that you may approve the things that are excellent. Well, that's, that's a good motivation. Then, so these are all why we love and how we love, and, and this is our motivation. So we uh, may approve the things that are excellent. Then, in order to be sincere and without fault until the day of Christ. Well, I don't know about you. I, I want that. That's a good thing. After that comes the pinnacle. In verse 11, it says, Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That is the pinnacle, to the glory and praise of God. That is how it's 
through the, the being filled with the fruit of righteousness that all comes through the gospel, through, the, through Jesus Christ. Well, what does chapter, or sorry, what does verse 11 look like practically, you might ask? Well, it looks like verses 3 through 8. It says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. And it, it's, it's the fellowship in the gospel in verse 7. It is in the chains. It's the defense and the confirmation of the gospel that we are partakers with Paul. So then what does verses 3 through 11 look, or 3 through 8 look like? Yeah, it's, it's verse 11. That's what it looks like. They're some nations of each other. It is fellowship in the gospel or being saved. That produces a partnership. One through easy times, one through hard times. Does anyone here know of those hard times? Does anyone here, has anyone here seen anybody else go through those hard times here? Has anybody else experienced those hard times with each other. I'm sure of it. It's guaranteed. So in that partnership, it's a consistency in the gospel, or sorry, it's a consistency in the defense of the gospel. What this is is a verbal apologia or a response, a statement, or an argument to give an answer for the joy of why you believe. And then you have the confirmation of the gospel or to produce confidence in the gospel. As Paul is seeing their righteousness play out in its fruits, it is producing confidence in the gospel. Have you ever seen another believer grow before? Does that bring joy to your heart? That's what Paul is expressing here. These people were sharing the gospel and living it out by being filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ. It's living out the gospel. And God will get the glory and the praise one way or another. Main motivation, this is the apex If you find God and his people boring, then there might be a chance that you don't have this partnership. You don't have this fellowship. So go back to point number one. So let me ask you, Christian, are you wasting your life? Or are you striving toward a life characterized by the gospel and living it out? It's a choice that you make day by day. It's a choice that I make day by day. So in closing, let me encourage you with an assignment. If you know someone who embodies this, it's their character to defend because Christ has changed them. It's their character to defend and live out the gospel. And it has emboldened your faith. Choose to be a blessing today. Let them know. And maybe with some specifics, be an encouragement to them as you continue striving yourself as well. Let me pray. Father God, you are good, you are holy, and we thank you, we praise you for this time. Help each one of us 
Help PBC as a whole live towards your glory. Help us spread the news of the good news of the gospel, what your son, the, the life, the death, and the resurrection. And your sovereignty through it all and how you call it a good thing. Help us have joy in that. And help us encourage one another, one another and build up your saints. We give you all the praise for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.